Grace and peace and welcome to Cokesbury United Methodist Church here in Woodbridge, Virginia. My name is Taylor Mertens and I serve as the pastor here. And I'm delighted that you have decided to join us for worship today, whether you're joining us on Facebook or on YouTube. Uh, it is a great privilege to be a pastor, particularly at a time like this, to offer God's words for us. Uh, and I'm delighted that you are with us. We are in the midst of a sermon series on Philippians. We're looking at Philippians chapter 2 today, the Christ hymn that Paul writes to the church in Philippi. We've been doing this series for a little bit, and we're going to continue to do it until we get through the end of Philippians. Uh, I've been encouraging the church to read through Philippians once a week to continue to keep ourselves steeped in the word. If you have been reading, if you have any questions about what you've come across or, or what certain words or expressions mean, please feel free to send me an email. You can message me on Facebook. I'd love to have further conversations with you about this very, very important letter uh, that was written in the early church. I'm going to share a few announcements with you, the first being that today we're having our second drive-in service of Word and Sacrament. It will be happening in our parking lot at 4 o'clock this afternoon, 4 o'clock today, Sunday, September 27th. It'll be about 20 to 30 minutes long, prayers, scripture, a brief homily, and then we're going to be sharing the sacrament. We'll have uh, communion together. With that, we're also coupling it with a time for donations in terms of our cereal drive. This is something our missions team has been working on. If you have extra cereal at your house, or if you're going to go grocery shopping today, uh, please bring some cereal that has low sugar content, less than six grams of sugar per serving. We're going to be collecting all of that cereal to bring to Axe so that it can be distributed to those in our community who need it the most. We'll be picking up those uh, boxes of cereal during our drive-in service uh, this afternoon. Again, everyone's welcome to come join us this afternoon for our service, our drive-in service of Word and Sacrament, and we're really looking forward to getting to see one another, even through our windshields, as it were. With I also want to uh, just share a brief story. One of the joys of being a pastor is getting to design our worship service, that is, our scriptures, our prayers, our hymns, all that sort of stuff. Uh, I love the United Methodist hymnal. I love singing. I love the hymns that we have. And because I was raised in the church and spent a lot of formative years as a, as a kid and as a young adult in the church, I just know a lot of our hymns. And I think that's helped me somewhat as a pastor. I try very hard to make sure that whatever we sing in worship connects with the greater themes of scripture and prayers and sermon and sacrament. A number of years ago, I was down in New Orleans on a mission trip shortly after Katrina happened, and we were in a retirement home, and we were part of a, or in a unit with people who had uh, different challenges that they were going through, and particularly with their memory. A lot of them were no longer communicating. They would kind of sit around. Sometimes they'd play bingo, but often they would just kind of stare at the wall. And they sent me and a few other youth to be there that day to help out and there wasn't really much for us to do, or we didn't really know what we were doing. And I happened to see a hymnal that was laying there. And because I'm just kind of the person that I am, I picked that hymnal up and I flipped to a random hymn and I started singing it. And I, I sang through the entire hymn, not very loud, but loud enough that some of the residents could hear. And lo and behold, some of them started to sing along with me. And so I just turned to another hymn and I encouraged the other youth on the trip with me to sing along to these hymns. And we did it for about 20 to 30 minutes. And I noticed during that time of singing that most of the residents started singing or humming along with us, and the people who worked at the facility started to cry. And so after our time was over and I was able to talk to some, I said, you know, I, I'm, 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 I don't know if you're crying because my singing was so bad. I'm just not really sure what was going on. And I remember one of them said, I've never heard any of these residents communicate in all the years I've been here until you started singing. There is something beautiful about music and hymns and the way that it 
affects our memory. There have been documented cases of people who no longer communicate or can't remember, but if you start to say something like the Apostles' Creed or the Lord's Prayer, you sing a hymn like Amazing Grace, that it can almost draw someone out of their, their memory loss. It's not a perfect thing. It doesn't work every time, but it is, it is rather miraculous. I share this with you today because our faith is something that we, we sing. The hymns we sing teach us about who we are and whose we are. And as I said today, we're going to be looking at the Christ hymn from Philippians. So bear that in mind as we prepare our hearts and minds for worship. Let's just be silent for a moment as we continue to, to go to God today to worship and to hear what God has to say to us. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful, wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let us pray. Lord, you know exactly who we are, people with good and bad choices, satisfied and dissatisfied, sure and unsure people. Christians out of conviction, Christians out of habit. We're believers, half-believers, and even unbelievers. But now we are all before you, and in all our inequality, we are equal in this, that we are sinners in need of your grace. So, Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the Scriptures are read and your Word proclaim, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. And now, O Lord, each of us will lift up to you our own prayers, our joys and concerns this day, whether silently or aloud. now let us pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our scripture lesson today comes from Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. This is Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Uh, I'll be reading from the New Revised Standard Version, and you can follow along with our online bulletin. You can access it through a link in the video description, but this is Philippians 2, 1 through 13. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed me, 
not only in my presence, but much more now in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Our hymn today is number 395 in the United Methodist Hymnal. Take time to be holy. Take time to be holy. Uh, the words for it are in the online bulletin, as I noted before. So join me over on the drums as we play and sing together. Take time to be holy. being found in human form, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Would you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. We might not realize it, but we actually sing our faith. Well, at least we did back in the days when we were actually able to get in person for worship on Sunday mornings, but nevertheless, in the United Methodist Church, at least, we take very seriously the act of singing and how much it communicates and teaches us about who we are and whose we are. Now, there are some hymns that are just so well known that even if I only sing part of a verse, chances are you'll be able to fill in the rest. And we're going to try that right now, even as strange and as awkward as this might seem. It's going to require some audience participation, even though I'm standing in a sanctuary entirely by myself. But 
I, I'm going to trust you on this. If I start to sing a song, I want you to, to fill in the blanks after I stop singing. So here we go. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Okay, how about this one? Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. Or one more. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. And ransom captive Israel. I mean, those are... Those are three really, really well-known hymns that we have in, in our hymnal, and most Christian churches have those, those three hymns. Jesus Loves Me, This I Know, known by Christians and non-Christians alike. It was written in 1860. I learned it from my great-grandmother, who would sing it to me just about every time I visited her. It's one of the de facto songs of Sunday school classrooms. I can even remember it being used in one of my preschool classes as a kid, as a way to sort of get us back under control when we were playing around too much. But Jesus loves me for all of its lovely qualities. It's only been around for 160 years. Amazing Grace, known by Christians and non-Christians like it was written in the year 1779. Its ubiquity cannot be overstated. I, mean, I can't think of a single funeral I've ever done where Amazing Grace wasn't the number one picked hymn. It shows up in the background of hit TV shows and in movies. I've heard it quoted from the lips of more politicians than I can possibly count. And even with all of the amazing qualities of Amazing Grace, it's only been around for 240 years. O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. It's one of the preferred songs for the season of Advent. It's been covered by bands from the likes of Pentatonix to Sufjan Stevens. And get this, it was written in the 9th century. It's over a thousand years old. I think about that for just a moment. Christians have used the words of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel to articulate our faith for a very long time. The hymn is older than the United States. It's older than the printing press. It's older than Timbuktu. There's something really notable about Christian hymns, and when you look at them and you see how they've changed over time. So if you take a gander at O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, the hymn is largely about Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, and it's only secondarily about us, that is, those who follow him. But as the years and the centuries pass, the hymns actually start to, they flip. They start to focus more on us and only secondarily about Jesus. It's why today you can tune to a Christian radio station, and you, the subject of almost every song is, is us. I'm so in love with you, Jesus. Our God is greater. Our God is stronger. I believe. It's in singing our faith today that we've become the subject of our worship. St. Paul, in his letter to the church in Philippi, written from behind bars, it contains one of the most interesting aspects of any one of his letters, a hymn. We in the church call it the Christ hymn, and it's tucked away here in the second chapter, and it actually predates Paul's letter. The hymn itself is older than any of his epistles. It's older than any of the gospels being written down. It is a song that the very earliest Christians used to articulate their faith. It's over 2,000 years old. Listen, Christ Jesus, though 
He was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I know that might not sound as catchy as something you can experience on YouTube or on the radio today, but this hymn, this Christ hymn, is absolutely radical. Paul writes it here and means for it to shock us. These little collection of verses that Paul shares with his Philippians, Most of us, however, we barely even respond to it all because we've heard it all before. But listen again. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Again, those lines aren't original to Paul. In fact, the early Christians who put that hymn together, they got some of those words, some of those ideas from Isaiah, the prophet from the 45th chapter. It contains, incidentally, one of the Bible's fiercest statements against idolatry. Idolatry is whatever happens when we worship any of the little g gods in our life rather than God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Idolatry is when we hold up a political candidate as if they are the ones that can save us. Idolatry is when we're willing to sacrifice people's lives so long as we can keep the economy stimulated. Idolatry is when we are so wedded to the powers and the principalities of this life that we no longer notice the sin we're in. So what is it that Paul does with the song about idolatry? Or better put, what did the early Christians do with it? They stuck Jesus right in the middle. They, to put it in theological terms, violated the law with the power of the gospel. It's as if Paul is saying, or perhaps singing, Jesus knew that power and might aren't things to be taken, but instead to be given up. Jesus emptied himself of all things. Jesus made himself poor even though he was rich. Jesus gave up his royal robes for a servant's towel. Jesus humiliated himself to the point of humility. Jesus blessed those who persecuted him. Jesus turned the other cheek, went the extra mile, forgave no matter the cost. And because that's who Jesus is, God exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. And that, friends, is absolutely shocking. It's shocking because the name that is above every name is Yahweh. I am. It's the one who spoke from the burning bush to Moses, the one who delivered a people enslaved all the way to the promised land, the one who turned the world upside down. Paul, mic drops through the centuries this frighteningly good news, the Lord, God, is Jesus. John Wesley, the founder of this crazy thing we call Methodism today, said that if God wanted to, God could have been sovereign. That is, God could have controlled us like puppets and made us do every little thing that God wanted. God could have smacked us into shape for stepping out of line or rewarded us with little prizes for making all the right choices. But instead, Wesley said, God chose to be Jesus. God chose to come across the great chasm between creator and creature and dwell among us in the muck and the mire of this life. God took on flesh in humility, humiliated God's self to come and be with people like me and you 
God became Jesus for us. It happens a lot in my line of work. The unannounced drop-in, the casual but not really phone call, the email filled with ellipses. You know, someone will show up in my life, offer a few remarks that don't really have much to do with anything, and they'll, they'll finally share what they've kept bottled up. That is, they will finally share with me their sin. A wife who's been cheating on her husband, an individual who fled from the scene after a hit and run, a, a, a kid who made one too many bad choices at a party. Now, almost every one of those conversations that I have, and I have them all the time, they end almost the exact same way with a question. You know, having emptied themselves of their baggage, having confessed the condition of their condition, someone then asks, do you think I'm a sinner? Do you think I'm a sinner? One of the great privileges of my profession is that I get to answer that question like this. Of course you're a sinner, but so am I. And Jesus, Jesus happens to love sinners. What do we really think God is like? Is God just angry with us all the time? Is God some sort of totalitarian dictator who is willing to torture us into better behavior? Is God keeping a ledger of every little mistake we make in order to determine where we should end up at the end of our days? Or is God like Jesus? Is God the one who, in humility, takes on flesh to welcome outcasts and eat with sinners? Is God the one who, time and time again, describes the kingdom like a wedding feast to which all of the wrong kinds of people get invited? God became what we are. That's what the Christ hymn is all about. It's what Paul is banging over the heads of the disciples in Philippi. God became what we are. It's God's unending graciousness. It's in that unending graciousness that God travels into the far country, into the brokenness of this world, our world, which is not God and is so often against God. And God made us and ma made and makes that journey to us, for us. Jesus is God. That's what the hymn says, the hymn that has articulated our faith longer than any other hymn. And in Jesus... God refuses to cast stones. You know, God says to the woman caught in adultery, I don't condemn you. Even though scripture condemned her behavior, God says to the sinning tax collector and the murderer and the fill-in-the-blank or whatever you want, I'm feasting with you tonight, even though scripture calls them unclean. God says to the thief hanging on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise, even though scripture claims the opposite. God in the flesh Jesus of Nazareth, forgive those who haven't a clue in the world and forgive those who know exactly what they're doing. God eats and drinks and cavorts with the very people we wouldn't be caught dead with, and that's the whole point. God even chose to die, even death on a cross, out of love for the sinners we are. You know, contrary to how we often discuss it, both publicly and in secret, God doesn't respond to the crosses we build in this life with more crosses. God doesn't abide by an eye for an eye. Instead, God's answer to our brokenness, God's answer to our sinfulness, is Easter, is resurrection. 
forgiveness. And that's humiliating. It's humiliating because we don't deserve it. We worship a crucified God hanging dead on the cross because we put him there. And God comes back to us. Jesus, whose name is above all names. Jesus, the one to whom we owe our allegiance. Jesus, the one we worship, is God. And God, knowing our sin, chose to be with us and for us. That's the faith we sing. Not some version of our own progress toward betterness. Not some repetitive chorus where we become the subjects of our worship. The faith we sing is that God humbled himself became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross for us. So I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, invade our bodies with your hope that we might manifest the enthusiasm of your kingdom. Give us energy to relish in the wonder of it all. For we thank you, Lord, for giving us good and hopeful work to do as the church. We thank you, Lord, that our lives are not just one pointless thing after another, but also today, Lord, we pray that you would give us patience. Fill our hope with humility so that we might remember it is your will be done and not our will be done. And all God's people say, Amen. God has gathered us together, God has proclaimed God's word, and we respond to what God has said with the giving of ourselves, our tithes, our offerings. Uh, I encourage you to give generously with glad hearts to the ministries of Cokesbury United Methodist Church. You can do so online. The link for doing so is in the video description. You can send a check through the mail to the church, or if you live locally, you can bring your offering by. We have a drop slot by the main office doors. Or if you would so choose, you can join us this afternoon at 4 o'clock in our parking lot for our drive-in service of Word and Sacrament. We will be taking an offering during that service as well. But give. Give with glad and generous hearts that Cokesbury might continue to be a place that can sing the faith that Christ has come to be with us and for us. Another way that we like to respond to what God has said is by affirming our faith using something like the Apostles' Creed. So I encourage you now to join me as we affirm our faith. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now I'd like to offer you this blessing and benediction. May the God of grace and glory, God of the beginning and the end, the God of life and of death and of resurrection, help you to hear the hymn that is our good news, that God in Christ humbled himself even to the point of death, death on a cross for us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. 
I look forward to gathering with some of you this afternoon at 4 o'clock in our parking lot for our service of drive-in worship. Uh, otherwise, I look forward to gathering with you next week, next Sunday, same time, same place, to hear what God has to say. Amen, amen, and amen. Go in peace.